Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And it's Friday Night Lights edition, and we've got people watching us, too, which is yep. very interesting, exciting. A shout-out to our uh, friends south of the border. Friends uh, south of the border on Happy Cinco de Mayo. Cinco and de Mayo. As we said on Facebook Live, we are drinking Canadian whiskey, which I referenced, I think, in the last episode. You did. You did. So we're, we're always open for sponsors. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, so I uh, hope all of you are healthy because you're on your own. <laughs> you're not, uh, but uh, well, I think uh, I'm I'm inclined not even to think about that today. Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. This is this is this is just the kind of irony or tragedy or both or comedy. I don't know, but you. So Obamacare it was basically it, you could say it it, it it did involve wealth transfer from blue states to red states. And, yeah, you it know, did. Yeah. from from places where per capita was higher to subsidize people. So people voted against that. So now this bill transfers the people, the red, the red states, it, it will move resources to the people in the blue states, to the, to the upper echelon economically. So that's just a very interesting phenomenon. It's just, it's, yeah, that Robin Hood was a loser. So it's reversing. <laughs> he, was, he was a loser. So I always liked the uh, guy in Nottingham. Yeah, it's inverted. Go, go Sheriff Nottingham. Yeah, it's inverted Robin Hoodism. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I, well, the fact that they were celebrating, uh, that that was pretty ob- obnoxious, uh, given that this is – I mean, first of all, it's not going to be bill, It's not going to be the ultimate bill. So that's kind of a – You're farce. the ultimate bill. I'm the ultimate bill. But again, it, it's um, – Well, also, because – isn't this – I was thinking about this today. Isn't this because they're keeping it in the reconciliation process so they don't need 60 votes? So it's filibuster-proof, right? So they wouldn't have to do a whole new bill. But, so that – Means they'll probably get something out of the Senate. Although Lindsey Graham has said that we're going to, and everybody, this hasn't been scored. This hasn't been, you know, we're going to write right. our own bill, basically. Right. Screw right. you, House. But, you know, it's interesting, though, because that limits what they could, they could sort of do Obamacare light and try to gut certain things, but you can't, they couldn't just start over. That's why they can't, because if they started over, it would be out of the reconciliation pro- but process. But there still would need to be a conference committee. You can still come up with a, a different bill in the Senate. They can do whatever they want to to it in terms of amendments. Right. But I'm just saying that, that why, like, the reason, right, my understanding why not to repeal and just start over is because what they're doing is just modifying something through reconciliation. So that's oh, okay. Like, so you're saying it's, it's still, I mean, it's still the affordable hair health. It's, it's affordable haircut. Haircut. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking a haircut. A big Actually, one. I only had one sip. So that's not because of alcohol. It's because of Friday. But, but our president did say, I think. We should. I. I don't think we should be apologizing, except for people that. Well, I should, we could apologize to people that are sick, or fragile, or could get disease in America. Which right. I guess is, Any of you who could potentially be sick, uh, get, you know, get sick now before it goes in. But yeah. we got a big compliment to Australia. I mean, apparently <laughs> our president said, "I mean, Australia. I mean, my my I shouldn't say this. Uh, you know, I shouldn't talk about this uh, healthcare because." Uh, my good friend, the prime minister, I mean, Australia's got better health care than we do. <laughs> They're single payer. Bernie Sanders is like, excellent. We're going to quote the president on the Senate floor. 
<laughs> oh, that's why we need Medicaid for Medicare for all. <laughs> that's right. Very good. And uh, and uh, how do you feel about the new improved National Day of Prayer? I mean, that's uh, that's been upgraded uh, yesterday. Uh, his uh, signing in an executive order that maybe actually does nothing except make everybody angry. Uh, so um, for those of you who have been trying to endorse people from your pulpits, this may give you a free ride to do that. And uh, uh, it's just a strange, strange thing. Well, maybe we could endorse each other from our pulpits. <laughs> yeah, because that'd be good. All right, and so. I just want to say a shout out to um, Dan Fitzpatrick, our, Fitzpatrick, our congressman. Dan Fitzpatrick did not vote with the House. Yeah, and good for him. He made a very principled speech, and he talked about, I think, a family member who was saved at St. Mary's, where my wife, Lindy, works, and yeah. she works with his niece, and he was very complimentary of St. Mary's and his district, and just as a man of uh, principle, and really thought that this was not, the Medicaid issues and other things, it was not a principled bill, so he did not, he did not go and eat the chocolate cake. Yeah, <laughs> good for him. Yeah, good for him. So that, uh, that means I am, am not going to be Initially, I, I'm not automatically working for whoever's running against them exactly. at this point. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We, but we do. But you did the right thing. You did the right thing for your people. So thank you for doing that. And there were a few other people who did that. Um, and not good grief. There's a lot of things that need to be corrected with it. And there's a lot of problems. But uh, what got passed yesterday is by no means a solution. It's made everything worse. Yeah, whether you're... Unless you're rich and young. Yeah, I, I, even if you were... A principled conservative like Joe Scarborough, who thought it was a disaster. I mean, from left or right, it, it, this is not yeah. a sort of... It was a bad process. Bad process. It's a bad... Yeah, I think it's sort of the worst of all. Yeah, it really was not... I mean, it was not, it was not to benefit the American people. It was not to benefit anybody other than uh, whoever's paying, uh, pushing Paul Ryan's buttons. And also to say, well, we said we were going to do it. We did it. But that's not... That's not really what governing is about, and particularly something that is one-sixth of the American economy. The people passed a bill that radically affects one-sixth of the American economy, many of them having not read it. The very thing they complained about Obama's bill, which, you know, that was wrong then. It was wrong that they pushed something through, and they took, what, a year to push that through, uh, so it's yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's like, problematic. It's very problematic. It's interesting because, like, I'm sure there's lots of legislation that House members have, like, staff summaries and stuff. But, like, here's the thing. It was on, on Fox 5. Well, no, it's not Fox 5 now. They moved the 5 to 9. They have five people on it. And then they got a new studio at 5 and Fox, and they only have four panelists. And they're called the Fox News Specialists. So I don't know what – I like my old 5 at 5 o'clock because I could remember it better. Now it's in 9 to 5, 5 to 9. But anyway. Well, I always, I always depend on you for any of my Fox information. Oh, I love Fox News. <laughs> they do great television. <laughs> uh, yeah, like so basically they – Eric Bowling was saying – Oh, by the way, I just want you to know that you know, the last podcast when you told people uh, – you, you mentioned Bill O'Reilly's uh, uh, erotic – Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I just want you to know my counseling – Lotus just got <laughs> Thank you very much because we told people not to look at it, but just like Adam and Eve, they went and looked at it, and the law increases the thanks. Trust thanks a lot, Scott. I really appreciate <laughs> it. This is me. I and all it. you people, stop stop sending in your cards and letters about that it's book. It. I don't want to talk about yeah, it ever done. again. But uh, uh, Eric Bowling <laughs> turns to the other panelists. He said, "You know, and come on, we need the South Carolina like, because look, you know, we spend like what sixteen percent or thirteen thirteen percent of our." Um, 
or more on of our GDP on healthcare. Six, uh, six, 16, 16, 18, almost 18 or, 18, 20, or 17. Yeah, 20%, yeah. It's like, look, most of these European nations are under 10. We got to get with the program. And the other liberal parties are like, yeah, of course. That's because they don't have a free market. <laughs> and, and again, maybe, again, I'm not saying that a radically different kind of system that was, you know, for instance, I think on cap and trade, which is originally a conservative market-based solution, right. which did a lot on acid rain, and I think on carbon emissions and things. I'm not saying there aren't market-based solutions right. to lots of our problems, but this is not one of them. No. And in fact, Obamacare actually was originally a Heritage Foundation idea, no peacenik liberal hippie group. Right. This Obamacare was the conservative market. It was the it was the it cap was, and it trade. Was very similar to Romney. Romney. Yeah, Romney mm-hmm. care. Yeah. yeah, all that. Yeah. Well, you know, the other, last episode we talked about c- civil war, a nation divided. So that that got me thinking. <laughs> not the movie, not the, the Avengers movie. No, no, it got me thinking about things coming apart. And actually, um, you know, both in my professional, in terms of just talk, having lots of conversations recently with people in transition, whether it be life transitions, uh, relational transitions, thinking about uh, changing jobs, changing churches, grieving over the loss of um, relationships that were. Um, So it got me to thinking about, and I think there was a song that came on the radio while I was driving through beautiful western New Jersey yesterday that said... Western New Jersey, for our listeners who are not familiar with New Jersey, it's one of the most beautiful parts of the state. It's it's actually a very beautiful part of the... uh, yeah, you know, the Delaware uh, River Gap and all that area—it's beautiful. So we've anyway. got we've got the best rivers. I mean, <laughs> the most beautiful, most amazing. Alec, I, did we talk about this? Alec Baldwin said on Howard Stern, he said, "You know, I feel bad for Trump. He's always that guy that's looking for this really powerful word and can't find it." Our staff is the most amazing. I mean, they are truly very amazing. Very, they're spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is funny. It is kind of funny. It's nonpartisan yeah. humor. It's just nonpartisan. It's just it's just funny. It's just it's just funny because it is. So anyway, uh, I suggested that we talk about breaking up. What does it mean? Uh, what's involved in uh, ending relationships, whether they be personal relationships, whether they be business relationships, whether they be spiritual relationships? What's involved, and what's the cost of doing that, and how do you move on? Yeah, the cost is is. I mean, often really difficult. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think there's a temptation. I, I mean, this is how I experienced it often in my life, where you, let's say you're in, going in the midst of a kind of, a, uh, let's say it's a, you know, it's a, a crisis kind of breakup, or, or there, it's a crisis ending, whether it's a work relationship or whatever, and you tend to rally, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a sense where, I mean, I did... Back years ago, I studied with Ken France, who wrote, I think, the first textbook on crisis intervention. And um, talking about, you know, crisis is something that only lasts four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And it resolves into something. So usually during that crisis period, there is heightened motivation to to work on it. You rally. You – your best self – your best self happens. I mean, I once ended a church relationship. It was kind of a, it was my first job out of seminary. And it was an unfortunate relationship with a senior pastor. And I actually uh, kind of walked, well, it's a complicated thing, but but it came to a head Holy Week. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Who and, was Jesus and who was Pontius well, Pilate? Well, yeah, it depends, yeah. Or Barabbas. Yeah, or, or Judas. You know, there was a lot of different characters, but... You know, it was interesting. One of the hardest things were because I, I think I tried to act in a way that was the best thing for the church at the time. 
and it was difficult because you know people were you know I I didn't I didn't act in an evasive way and and um, didn't quite fall on the sword but didn't you know didn't didn't fight back and um, and so you know there was this kind of you know it was Holy Week and people were you know I had good support and. And they didn't shout, give us Barabbas. No, I give didn't. us Barabbas. Someone, I think someone did. <laughs> and uh, man, there was like a couple hundred people wanted me to start my own church, which I declined to do. But um, it was like the you know the weeks after that when it started. Um, whatever whatever was in me, whether it be God or my own defense mechanisms or the support of the community or my convictions, whatever kind of helped me rise above it at the time. Uh, you know, you know. A number of weeks later, then you begin to deal with the anger, the sense of betrayal, the sense of doubt, uh, maybe the guilt where you could have done things differently, and that could be a that could be a lonely kind of time. And many of us, and, and again, I mean, this is one of the good reasons why one should do some work with either a spiritual director or a therapist. But we tend to link. So, uh, if, for instance, we experienced an abandonment in our previous, you know, earlier life, when we something like that happens again. Then it doubles down. If you feel like you, people have let you down, if you uh, have been disappointed in people in the past, and it happens again, it's almost it's uh, you know it's it's a quantitative leap. I mean, in other words, it it's exponential in the way that you experience it. Particularly if you haven't dealt with it in the past, and even if you have dealt with it in the past, it's kind of like the spiral staircase. You go another level, and you realize there's a whole other level of hurt. Maybe shame, uh, you know, you can name all guilt, uh, betrayal, all those things um, are, you know, it's like a scab that gets scraped open. So not only are you grieving the loss of this particular point, but all of your losses can come back to, to hit you like a ton of bricks during these times. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As we were thinking about, as we talked about, we we're going to talk about, I was, it took me back to um, von Balthasar's level and his credible. And he says in here, when man, can, I, can I can I just say one thing you said about von Balthasar one time? Yeah, you think that there's a greater chance that people will be reading von Balthasar 300 years from now than they will be Karl Barth. Not uh, you I, said that you I said, might have said well, well. You said that I don't think I. I'm trying to think if I could have said that. But no, wait a minute. I'm not making that up. You said that. Now that could have been after that bottle of tequila we had. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that isn't. We should have had the tequila. We should I should have bought the tequila. That's all right. I, I appreciate it. what you use. Well, your... I mean, okay. L- let me. Um, I don't mean to get us off track. No, let me. I, I I would not deny the plausibility of that. Like I, I think that. I mean, not that people won't be reading Bart, but I think that von Balthasar. I mean, they're both students of the tradition in the best sense of the word, but I think. Von Balthasar can hold together the modern and the pre-modern stuff. I mean, you could read Bart this way too, but I think like this is how George Hunzinger tends to read Bart. But I think Bart is an iconoclast at, at parts. I mean, not the whole Bart is an right. iconoclastic. But yeah, I, 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 we, we will revisit this. Well, the reason, only reason I'm highlighting that is because um, many of you probably have not read Von Balthasar, and I very think, important. And I think it's very important. And uh, I know. Thank you. First of all, one of the greatest compliments many of you give us is that you actually read the things that we say are influencing us. So I, I just wanted – I actually yeah. did that on purpose because I think he is in – I was going to start to say in Protestant circles, but my guess is he's not read enough in Catholic circles either. No, and you know, he was he was really – I mean, he was verboten for a while. I mean, he was actually 
It's funny because he John Paul was going to bring him back into the fold as a cardinal, and one of the ones that actually didn't have a a C, just like a a cardinal, like a Avery Cardinal Dulles. Yeah, and he died like right before his elevation. Right. Yeah. And, and can I just one other aside? I mean, I, I just want to talk to Christians for one minute who are listening to us. I mean, all of all, all of us have a particular leaning. Uh, you know, we've all been kind of reeling since. Uh, uh, Donald Trump got elected, and then you know we are all deeply troubled by you know just uh, Legion is the is its name, but some of the most important work that's done in the church is done during times of trial and fire. And I'm thinking von Balthasar and Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, three of the most important theologians of the 20th century, uh, and Halleck. I mean, behind the yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah and Thomas, Thomas what he Thomas you know he, yeah, yeah, I mean his his mentor was first in a concentration camp by the Nazis and then was put into a work camp around radiative, radioactive material by the communists. So, Just like, so after World War II, you're like, oh, wow, I survived that. <laughs> I yeah, so I, I guess part of what I'm saying is um, do, do your work. You know, yeah. do our work. I mean, that's, that's how do we respond to what's going on? We do the work that we've been called to do, and and there's it, and uh, and it's a fine balance too, because Bart said something, and it, you have to be careful the way you interpret this, because he was very politically active, and yet he said, "I tried to do dogmatics as if nothing was going on," and by that he meant like he didn't try to let what was going on dictate what he was doing theologically, but he tried to have his own theological project be able to speak meaningfully to right. what's going on without being dictated to by it. Yeah, I mean the doctrine of Trinity is not affected by the Affordable Health Care Act, right? Yeah. Unless you're writing it and you get sick and you <laughs> you may not get done, but uh, other than that, but anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted right, you. And also, this is a great time to preach the resurrection Easter season because people might be thinking about death a lot more. <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. Uh, it, this whole new, uh, the whole uh, we might uh, Franciscan healthcare may have a whole new, uh, you know, just die young. And right? we don't offer much financial advice. But if you're going to move your mind, I'd look in funeral homes right now, <laughs> mortuaries, mausoleums. Like these are, uh, these are uh, places that I think are going to see an up an uptick. You know what? Also, be a traveling medicine show <laughs> yeah, okay. that could come back. Yeah, or a uh, 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 destination surgery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. You know, Lindy did uh, a, like a Lindy, your wife, my wife. Yeah, an advanced class in Penn, like a cross cultural medical thing in Thailand. She says some of the best hospitals she's seen are in Thailand, and they're mm-hmm. very integrated with Western and. Eastern stuff. So, like, there's acupuncture. There's the best Western stuff. Very interesting. So. I, have, I have this vision that down the road I'm going to have to go back to one of those third world clinics I helped start. I'm going to come back. Oh, what do you want to do for us, Bill? I know I need treatment. I need treatment. I'm just here as a patient. I'm not building an expansion. So, but, uh, Von Balthasar says in this chapter called The Failures of Love, um, he says, when man encounters the love of God in Christ, not only does he experience what genuine love is, but he's also confronted with the undeniable fact that he is a sel- he a selfish sinner does not himself possess true love. He experiences two things at once: the finitude of the creature's love and its sinful frigidity. And then a page later, he says this: for all the goodness of love and 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 the mystery and transcendence we have in human love on the horizontal level, he says. But though all of this may point the way, it does not accomplish the journey. For there are other equally strong or stronger powers that set a limit to love's movement: the fight for one's place under the sun. The terrible stifling of the individual by the surrounding relations, the clan, and even by the family. 
the struggle of natural selection for which nature itself provides the strength and the arms. The laws of times decay, friendships once thought to be forever grow cold. People grow apart, views and perspectives, and thus hearts too become estranged. Geographic distances create an additional burden, and love must be strong and single-minded in order to withstand it. Pledges of love meant to be eternal get broken, because the rising wave of Eros gave way and another newer love came in between. The beloved's faults and limitations become unbearable and perhaps even worsened because the finitude of love seemed to be a contradiction. Why love just one woman when there are thousands that could be loved? Don Juan poses this question as he shakes the cage of finitude, driven by a fundamental intuition no less valid, perhaps, than Faust's. But if the very meaning of love slips past the Don in the surfeit of women, Faust falls, fails to hold on to the eternity he thought he could pin down in the surfeit of moments. Hmm. You know, uh, Kierkegaard, in his book, Works of Love, says that we cannot find our ultimate happiness in anything in this world. We cannot find ultimate happiness in anything in this world that can be taken from us. And that's about everything. Yeah, and that, what, yeah, I, I absolutely. And that's I, what I love about that von Balthasar quote is that's the horizon of every human love, friendship, right. family love, uh, romantic love, you know, like all these love of country, your job, church, your occupation, vocation, occupation. Yeah. yeah. All of these things are the finitude, you know, and then, you know, he talks about the finitude and the fallenness. Like, we're not just finite because, you know, before the fall, Adam and Eve were still finite, but we're finite and fallen. And so there's a sense in which we're not just finite, but something about our fallenness brings out the worst in us when we experience our finitude. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. probably when the tradition talks about the active obedience of Christ, his being able to live in human fragility non-defensively. Right. Whereas I think our fallenness makes us so defensive. Right. When we, most of the time, I think we try to, if we can, if we have any power at all in relationship to society and its structures, we try to suppress our fragility. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or we try to give more gravity to things that are light. You know, I think that, uh, you know, that's really some levels the punchline of the unbearable lightness of being, you know, this, uh, the idea that this constant pursuit of trying to, to fill the empty, you know, with, with connections but not being committed leads to a kind of emptiness. But the other thing is true is that, you know, um, every relationship in this world comes to an end, whether it be a working relationship, whether it be a connection to a group of people. And that's, a, that's, that's I think, um, part of the inherent sadness of, of, uh, of this life. And I think sometimes when either a relationship ends or a um, – a work situation ends, then we're reminded of our own mortality. One of the things that's always interesting to me is when you're doing funerals, which I have done too many of, and um, it's I, and I've done funerals where you know there's hundreds and hundreds of people in the place because of prominent funerals or tragic funerals, and it's interesting. I remember one in particular. Um, the place was packed. Uh, the majority of people there only knew this person in a in a superficial way, it was somebody, uh, uh, you know, someone who died way too young, unexpectedly. And I remember, you know, looking out, and particularly this guy was a businessman, you know, in his 40s. And I remember looking out across the sea of suits <laughs> and uh, and seeing pure terror and sorrow in their eyes because they were looking at their own possibilities. And I think, you know, we do. We... um 
we experience kind of death, a kind of death when things end. And I think sometimes, it, um, you know, you know you're supposed to grieve a death. You know, I mean, there's some, you know, yeah. but we don't always grieve the loss of a friendship, a romantic relationship, um, a business relationship. Uh, we're pastors, so we don't often, you know, you maybe, you know, I've, you, know you leave a church and you go to the next one in a couple of weeks. Uh, John Galloway, who we both know, is a great Presbyterian uh, preacher and Prince Henry board member. When he was going to, he was leaving First Church, First Presbyterian Church in New York, Pennsylvania, where he had a celebrated ministry for a, a, a big church in Fox Chapel, right? You know, Pittsburgh, basically. Um, so he gets up there on Sunday morning and says, I have an announcement to make. I'm leaving you for a big red brick woman in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Yeah. And for those of you who don't know Galloway, I always said the Galloway should be the chaplain to the Rat Pack. Uh, he would have been good. He would have been, been his deal. But I, I think there's a sense sometimes we don't grieve. I was talking to a colleague recently who is contemplating changing churches. And one of the things I was just really trying to emphasize to this person was try to give yourself as much time off between the two. Um, because even though you want to make this move, you're going to grieve the loss of what's going on here. And you know, I'm. You know, I. Most of us can't afford to skip a paycheck, uh, so I, I never probably got to do that like I needed to do. But I think the same thing is true. Once we start picking up sponsors, we'll be able to skip all the paychecks we want. <laughs> I, I'm looking for that eschatological day. Yeah, I'm looking for the S, like the dollar signs day. <laughs> <laughs> but so you know, I think one of the things you have to do to move on is to give yourself some time to grieve. And that can come in a lot of different different ways, but realizing that all losses are, are real. And even if it's something you wanted to do, uh, many of them are imposed on us, um, that there, there has to be, there's a time of, of, of griefing and, you know, you know, probably if you say, oh, I'm done, I'm over that now, uh, that's probably not the case. So you need to give yourself some grace and, and just recognize that that's going to take a while to get, get over. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have, I have two um, I have two things I wanted to share. One is from Frank Lake, or, and it's in his clinical theology. It's a beautiful meditation. It's like eight pages on Jacob and his life and the sort of integrative journey he's on. And at the end, he says um, he says this. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Where Jacob wrestles with this angel who appears to be maybe the divine. In, Who in, knows? in some kind of yeah, in but physical. I've always thought though, like God could should be able to take an eighty year old guy <laughs> in the first round. But this who is, knows? He's the cruciform one. Kenosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Lake says this: to see the face of God was so traditionally associated with dread as to regard the vision as deadly. Jacob was one of the few who persevered until, in the place which he feared most, God was revealed to him. The conclusion of this history of Jacob's transition from an unstable character to a man who walks steadily with God is symbolized as we see him walking, even though lame, hmm. into the sun. And he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. As the master himself said, better enter into life maimed rather than insisting on retaining the wholeness of a broken humanity, hmm. be counted unworthy of the kingdom. Wow. And I think there's something there about in, in experiencing loss and minimizing it, uh, or being wounded by it such that you kind of cut yourself off to new right. possibilities. Right. And it's, I love that phrase, clinging to the wholeness of a broken humanity. It's better than limp, to limp into the kingdom. You're right. 
than be outside of the light of love because you're clinging to something that's really fraudulent. Yeah, I once heard a spiritual director, I've said this before, but she said she do, she doesn't trust any man who does not limp. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. What's the other one you wanted to share? The other one I want to share is from my new friend, um, Melissa Phoebus. Uh, in her book, Abandon Me, she talks about finding her biological father who left her early on. And he's, I think he and his wife had go, go to this evangelical church and she actually went and heard the pastor preach a sermon on Jonah. And she writes about the Jonah story. And she says this, Jonah, whose name means dove, is not brave. He simply exhausts all his other mm-hmm. choices. The only thing left to choose is God's will. And even then, after proclaiming his prophecy, Jonah shakes his fist at the Lord. His destiny does not give him peace. It enrages him. It's not what he wants. He begs God to kill him. But God doesn't kill Jonah. God's mercy often doesn't come in the form of erasure. And the story of Jonah seems a parable of what I have often suspected, that life is a great choose-your-own-adventure story. Every choice leads the hero to the same princess, the same cliff. There are alternative routes, but there is only one ending if you make it there. Every love is a sea monster in whose belly we learn to pray. Hmm. I did a wedding a couple of weeks ago, um, and this couple is more Catholic than the Pope, I think. I mean, uh, but their their first marriages ended in really badly. I mean, um, you know, they they both were married to people that were um, one was evil in an Augustinian sense because they were so broken, and the other was evil in an Augustinian <laughs> sense because there was a deficiency of goodwill. So both these people suffered a lot. Mm. And, you know, one of the things, uh, and, and obviously they uh, can't afford, they can't afford to buy an annulment. Uh, and I mean that literally. That's what you end up doing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, buy yeah, them, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the things I've said to them, I said, you know, I don't know anything more sacramental than finding healing and a new beginning in Christ and what you two have together. And I actually said that because there were some angry Catholics in the congregation who were kind of judgmental of them. And I said, you know, this is sacramental because— Christ is giving you grace to start a new beginning together. Um, John Michael Talbot, some of you are familiar with him. Um, you know, he's a third order Franciscan. Uh, he does beautiful music. Um, years ago, he was part of a, a kind of a country bluegrass rock band, a Mason Prophet band, and great guitar player. He and his brother were in that band. When he became a Christian, again, I don't know the details, so this is something that you know I've heard or read a little bit about. And so, if you know different details, that, that's you know what why it happened is doesn't matter. But his wife left him, and part of the implication was because she she and this guy became a Christian. He was a different guy than she married, and there were children involved. And, and an early song of his, it's hard to find any of his records, but uh, talks about how broken he he. Um, he is about this. And each verse talks about his heart being ripped out. But then he sings like this doxology. And, you know, and the song gave me this idea, and I certainly have had to live by it in my own life. Sometimes you just have to go to heaven and work backwards. Mm. In heaven, all things will be made right. All things will be well, will be very well, as Mm. God tells Dame Mm. Julian in, in Julian of Norwich. And sometimes in this life, when it comes to endings and broken things the best you can do is is go to heaven and work backwards but that's that's not a small thing and i love that every love is a sea monster in whose belly we learn to pray and jesus says the only sign i'll give you is the sign of jonah and it everything that can be wounding and scary and just feel like the pit of the beast is a place where jesus can not just 
teach you to pray, but be there praying for you and with you. Yep. And sometimes that beast spits you out, but then you get up and you keep going. Yeah. There's no um, resurrections without, unfortunately, (laughs) Golgotha. Today that I didn't wanna hear, but I knew that it would come. An old true friend of ours was talking on the phone. She said you found someone, and I thought of all the bad luck and the struggles we went through. How I lost me. And you lost you But are these voices Outside love's open door Make us grow up that and take And beg for something more
就像。